Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on the Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Well, good morning, Venture. It's great to see everybody today. Glad to have you here. Say good morning to those of you who are watching in the classic service and those who are watching online. And uh, as you saw, we're diving back into the book of James. You may have wondered when you saw the setup here if we were doing a Broadway musical or what was up with it. (laughs) This actually matches, uh, it goes with the Adventure Kids Camp that's going in a week. A week from now, we'll have hundreds of kids that are in here for worship every day, all they're doing. And so the the setup here is for that. We're going to have it for a few weeks as well. So don't worry, I'm not going to break out into any Broadway tunes right in the middle of this, uh, if you're afraid of that. But we're back in the book of James. In fact, if you've got your Bibles, turn to the book of James. Uh, the, The value of doing a series like this when you go through a book of the Bible is we can go straight out of the Bible teach out of it. In fact, if if you didn't bring a Bible today, uh, you can use the blue one in front of you. Grab the blue one. Page 1200, 1200 will take you right to James chapter three. James chapter three. And in it, we started this series a little bit earlier. One of the things I like about the book of James, he's very topical in his approach. He's got one universal theme, but topical approach. His theme is how do believers actually live out this faith that you proclaim? How, How do you actually put into action what you say you believe? And James is a real straight shooter. He doesn't mess around with it. He he doesn't put up with a lot. He just calls it like it is. And he directly says, what, what are you doing to actually put into action so that your faith actually has works? Because if you don't have something to show for it, then you need to look at your faith. It's probably a dead faith. And James, who's the little brother of Jesus, is writing believers. So he's writing this to Christians. That's why he's so direct. That's why he's so forthright. That's why he just comes at us sometimes that it feels really strong because he he is so passionate that Christians actually live out your faith. That we don't say one thing and do another thing. And so maybe you're here today and and you go, yeah, I'm not even a Christian at this point in my life. You're somebody who I think would really like the book of James because he's talking to Christians and maybe some of the things that people get so frustrated about Christians, if we applied this book, it gives an evidence to the world that that what we believe is real. And today he's gonna hit us directly in a theme that he's been talking about throughout the book in different ways, but he's gonna go through a passage today that really impacts everybody. He's talking about the power of the tongue, your mouth. He's not talking about the power of the muscle of the tongue, although it is really strong. He's talking about the fact that for each of us, we all average, on average, about 16,000 words a day. Yeah, that's a lot. Now, some of you, you spike that average. (laughs) And some of you, you're kind of down here. But over the course of a lifetime, on average, that's 860 million words that you'll say. Now, as you think about your 860 million, 
Let's just read through the passage. I'm gonna read through the whole passage first and then we'll walk through it. He says, not many of you, James 3, 1, should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Now, I told you, I mean, he calls it pretty straight like it is. He's not the most positive guy in this passage, but I think he's really, really accurate because he's forcing us to wrestle with the 860 million words that'll come out of your mouth and they'll come out of my mouth and the impact of it over the course of a lifetime. I mean, if you look at it, the passage itself is mainly just warnings. It's it's warnings about the tongue. And so you look at it, look what he says in the first warning. The, The tongue is remarkably powerful. He's warning us, it is so powerful in what it can do. And, and he comes out of the gate, it's powerful enough that teachers will have to give an account to God. 3.1, he says, not many of you should be teachers for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now he's talking about teachers of the Bible here. All, all of us, anybody who teaches, there's a certain accountability you have that you're not only accountable for your life and what you believe, but you're accountable for those who follow you. And so especially those of us who preach, those of, anybody who teaches the Bible, anybody who opens up God's word. I mean, think about it. This is God's word. And so if, you, if we're gonna stand up here and you're gonna teach and talk and tell people this is what God's word means, James says, you might wanna pause before you do that. You might not wanna just jump into that because boy, that'd be cool. I wanna do that. He says, one day, if you are a teacher, and and this is the holy pause and kind of the gulp for all of us who are pastors or teachers or anybody who opens God's word and teaches it, you'll have to stand and give an account to him for how you taught his word, how you led people's lives. There's an accountability and a strictness there. And, And frankly, there should be. 
The, the strength of this church, the strength of our belief system has been that we have a God who miraculously gave us his living word. He breathed it out to humans. He protected it. He guided the process of the way that it was collected together. If you study the history and all the different parts of it, it's been handed down. It's been meticulously translated. You can go back and find the Greek manuscripts that the, the, they, they can compare off of it and, and all with it. Now we don't have the original, but we've thousands of copies that date all the way back to the first century. I mean, this whole process of how God protected it, but if someone stands up and uses this miraculous book in a way that's off, boy, you can start directing lives pretty quickly when false teaching and error. And guys, we live in an age with a lot of false teaching. We live in an age because there's so much communication, so many different mechanisms, and we're seeing a drift that happens, and I'm not just talking about out there, I'm talking about within the church. I'm talking about within Christian publishing and, and, and churches, and it, and, and it starts in a way where, where people kind of come back to it and they go, well, I, I've got an innovative approach to this. And it starts leading people astray, and James is warning against it. It reminds me, you know, there was a lighthouse that was built off the southern coast of Australia in the mid-1800s. And they knew that there's this area down there that by the Cape St. George Cliffs in Jervis Bay, there was shipwreck after shipwreck. And so they knew they needed a lighthouse. And they commissioned a Captain Dawson to be the architect and Dawson came back with his location for the lighthouse and the pilot commission looked at it and they said, wait, you're gonna build it there? That seems like the, the wrong place. And everybody kind of questioned it. And, and even to this day, they don't know exactly what motivated Dawson. They think it was he wanted to build it in an easier location. He wanted to build it where he wanted it instead of where it was needed. And so he picked a location that was closer to the quarry. It was easier to get to. The problem was the lighthouse that was built was just far enough off that even though it's shining light, it's shining it from the wrong direction. And over two dozen ships were shipwrecked because of the lighthouse. They finally had to decommission it. Only after a couple of decades, it, it sat out there. They decommissioned it. And even then, sometimes on a moonlit night, the moon would bounce off of it and other ships were shipwrecked. And so they went out and they had to tear it down completely and build a new lighthouse. And I look at that because here's this lighthouse, it's shining the light, but, but they placed it where they wanted it to be instead of where it needed to be. And I'm just telling you as a pastor, as someone who studied this for a long time, as I look what's being taught in a lot of cases, and I'm talking about even in churches and even in, I'll pick up Christian books with it, in Christian colleges, people are coming to the Bible and, and they're putting on it what they want it to say instead of what it really says. On issues around the exclusivity of Jesus, on issues around the accuracy of scripture, on sexual issues and all these different, and it's just far enough off that lives can be shipwrecked over it. That's why James is so strong. He says, hey, if you're going to teach, 
you better be accurate with it. That's why Paul told Timothy, he says, you've got to be diligent as a student of God's word, presenting accurately the word of truth. Not what you want it to say, but what it really says. Now, up to this point, you're sitting there going, yeah, preacher, you better get your tongue in order. I hate to break to you, the next 11 verses invite you into. This isn't just a teacher issue. If you look at it as well, it's powerful enough that James says, we all struggle with this. We all struggle with this. Look, look what he says, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect person. He says, come on, let's be honest. This is an issue for everybody. And I, I, I just listed a quick list of different ways that you can stumble or sin with your mouth. And, and just maybe do a, a, a summary in your own heart and life. Anybody struggle with any of these things? Let me just go down the line. You can take the Lord's name in vain. And, and that's, that's when you specifically, when you use God's name as a curse word, when you use Christ as a curse word, you just declare his name or you say something inaccurate about him. Man, it's taking his name in vain. There's unwholesome language. That's different than taking the Lord's name in vain. There's just crude words that people use. And apparently most people that write movies and television shows have run out of vocabulary words. <laughs> and they just seem to litter every show with the exact same words over and over again. It's unwholesome words with it. Gossip. It's one of the key things scripture talks about. Lying. If you stretch the truth. Saying something harmful to someone or something hateful. By the way, when I'm talking about your tongue, this also applies to your thumbs because whatever you're sending out there, that counts too. Spreading confidential information. Flattery for the sake of gain. Baba really doesn't like that. Boasting, bragging, complaining. Ooh, anybody struggle with complaining? They go, oh, complaining's not that big a deal. There, there's a story in the Old Testament where God's children out in the wilderness were complaining about the food. They were tired of the food. And God threw down snakes from heaven. Which, you know, I think of that story every time my children <laughs> complain about what we're having to eat. And I'm like, and we're not even eating manna every day. I've yet to throw a snake on the table, but I've been tempted <laughs> out of that. Quarreling, division, dissension, silence when something needs to be said. There's also a way. Now, as I go through the list, anybody sitting out there totally exempt, you're sitting there going, nope, don't have a problem with any of those things. No, it's, it's all of us. And, and in different ways it shows up. That's why this, this passage is so inclusive of all of us. See, he says it's powerful enough that we all struggle. 
It's also powerful enough to alter the direction of a life. And he uses the imagery of a bit in a horse's mouth or the rudder of a ship. He said, this is the powerful thing about your mouth, your words, what you say with it. What, what, when, when speech is, is common in it, it's powerful enough. You think of a bit in a horse's mouth. I mean, you have this powerful, majestic animal and this little bit is able to turn the whole direction of it. Or even more, you take a ship. It doesn't matter how massive the ship is. It doesn't matter what's happening with the storms or the waves or even the wind. The rudder of the ship, whoever's holding that rudder, that rudder can turn and change the whole direction of it. And James says, our tongues, our mouths, our words, man, they have the power to change the direction of a life or a people or a church or a country. I mean, you, you look at how speech has been used. You look at it in, in just your own life or the people around you. And, and when he says that, he's talking about negative and positive. I mean, you think of it negatively. You know, we're taught this as kids. What are we taught? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Boy, is that untrue. Yeah, sticks and stones break bones. You know what words break? They break hearts. You know what words do? They wound souls. And, and there are people and some in this room, there are words that wounded you. And, and sometimes it was decades ago when they were said, but you still hear them. You still hear the tapes. You still feel the impact. You've defined your life and identity off of some of them because they hurt so deeply. James says these, these negative words, these negative expressions, man, it, it's got the power to shape someone's life. And let me just tell you, as a pastor, I've sat with enough people and I've heard enough stories. And a lot of them go back to at some point in life, something was said, something was expressed. And you can watch, you watch the trajectory of a life that goes so negatively. That's what James says, you gotta guard, what are you doing with it? Proverbs says, you have the power of life and death in your tongue. You have the ability to use it like a sword that just stabs someone. Or the ability that, that brings life to them. That's the other part of it. I mean, it's a rudder. You can turn it. You can turn a conversation. You can turn the tenor of a, a group. You can turn a family. You can turn a work environment. Man, one person has the power in that with the right words to turn people in it. I remember a couple of years ago, I saw an exchange. It, it happened on social media. There's a comedian, he's an actor, Patton Oswalt. And he's a pretty kind of snarky guy, a lot of comebacks, hates Donald Trump. And so he was kind of doing his thing. He's posting things about Donald Trump. And then this Trump supporter, Michael Beatty, he jumps on his timeline, his feed. And so he starts attacking back at him. And they're kind of flaming back and forth on it. Anybody seen an exchange like this in any way over the last few years? 
It depends. You can change the names of which candidate or people. I mean, we're just, you're living in this stuff all the time. It's interesting though, in the middle of it, Oswald just stopped for a minute and, and he wanted to go get some more information about the guy. So he went on the, the Michael Beatty's timeline and he just started researching. And then he hit a point where he stopped. And, and he wrote this, it was interesting. He wrote these words. He said, oh man, this dude just attacked me on Twitter and I joked back, but then I looked at his timeline and he's in a lot of trouble health-wise. He's been dealt some terrible cards. He said, hey, let's deal him some good ones. Click and donate just like I'm about to. And he posted the GoFundMe for Beatty who was suffering with severe diabetes and ketoacidosis and several health things. And within a few days, the 5,000 he was hoping to raise had turned into several thousand more than that. Beatty wrote back these words. He says, you have humbled me to the point where I can barely compose my words. You've caused me to take pause and reflect on how harmful words from my mouth could result in such an outpouring from you. I mean, isn't it nice just to kind of hear in the middle of all the fighting and there's so much we disagree on and, and hear me, I, I'm not getting in on all that part. I'm just saying when someone just says, can, can we raise the level of decency in how we talk about each other and how we treat each other? And, and shouldn't we as believers be the ones the most? That our words can change the level of conversation, how we talk about things, how we talk to each other. As we do that, I mean, the power you have in it. Remember Proverbs says it's life and death. When you talk about that rudder, I know we've been talking about the negative parts of it, but do you recognize the power of the positive parts of your words in somebody's life? Do you realize what you can do when you speak into a life? Do you realize the power of encouragement? Do you realize that, that people out there, Proverbs also says, it's like water in a desert. And I think we live in an environment where people, their souls are so dry for encouragement of any kind. I mean, the power that we have in it. I remember years ago, this, this is over 20 years ago now. I had, uh, I was, pastoring in Arkansas and uh, the seminary I went to, Dallas Theological Seminary, they invited me to come back and speak for a week of chapels. And I was excited about it, but I was a little nervous. Because I mean, you go, when, when you go to DTS, and especially at chapel, you, you stand there and all of the professors sit on the stage with you. So you're surrounded by your professors. And Chuck Swindoll was the president of the seminary at that time. And so he's there. You've got all these people, these people that trained you and you know, they taught Greek and Hebrew and all the different parts. So you know they're scrutinizing where you're messing up. So you feel the pressure of that. And I remember going back and I'm doing a week at chapels. And when I came back though, the one disappointment I had is one of my mentors, teachers, Timothy Warren, he taught homiletics, how to preach. And so I'd taken courses under him and, and been a TA under him. And so I was excited about seeing him again. And he was out on sabbatical for the whole semester. And so I did the week of chapels. I survived the nervousness, you know, of the profs that were up there and listening, scrutinizing. People were kind for the most part. 
And, and I remember a few months later, I was back at work one day and it was a Monday. And especially at that time, it, we were going through a lot of change in the church and, and kind of trying to lead people and all with that. Somebody was unhappy all the time. And you know, every so often as a pastor, you have those Mondays, especially, kind of like the, they call them the Monday blues. And I remember this Monday in particular, I, I was sitting in my office and it was like thinking about the message and I was like, that was terrible. That stunk. You kind of talk to yourself, you start scrutinizing everything that went wrong with it. I mean, I was down, 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 dooby doo down. I was down. <laughs> and, and I remember I looked over, this is when you had desktop phones, by the way, for you young people. It was this device you picked up and you <laughs> held, it was connected to the wall with the cord. It was a desktop phone. And there was this blinking red light. It was the message light. And at that point, I, I'd been getting enough complaints about different things people didn't like. I was like, what is it now? And I picked it up. I almost didn't listen to it. And then I go, no. Picked it up. Hit the message button. And the words came out. Timothy Lundy. Timothy Warren here. He always called me Timothy. In fact, he gave me grief for not going by Timothy. He says, your name in Greek is Timotheus, follower of God. He said, why'd you cut God out of your name? So. <laughs> he says, Timothy Warren, just got back from sabbatical. Spent the week listening to your messages. Excellent teaching. I was so proud of you. Keep up the good work. And that was it. And I said, you know, I think like, I need to listen to that again. <laughs> I, I kept the, the, the red blinking light. It stayed on probably for two years. <laughs> the, the power in that moment of just a few words, but somebody that picked up the phone, cared enough, took the effort and spoke words of life. And 20 something years later, I'm standing here today, I still feel the power of that. You have that power in somebody's life. You have the power to turn the rudder of their day, of their week, of their perspective. Do we use our words in that way? He says they're so powerful, but notice he said the tongue is also dangerous. It's dangerous. Look how he puts it. He says the impact can be multiplied so quickly. That, that, that imagery, a, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. I mean, he, he's imagining and, and, you know, in Palestine where they are, the, the area in Israel the ground gets dry. It was arid, a fire could break out. He knows what this is like. I mean, if anybody can relate to this imagery, it's Californians. We're in that season now. And, and you wait, all it takes is a lightning strike. All it takes is an electrical line. All it takes, somebody's careless at a campfire, one match. And we've seen these fires and the devastation of them where thousands of acres and hundreds of lives at times. 
and the, and the, the people that are impacted that lose their homes. James says in the same way that the tongue can be like that. It doesn't take much. You, you can see it in, in one lie, in one innu, innuendo. And, and especially with the devices we have now, it's just spread so fast. I mean, you, you look at it, it doesn't take much for it just to go. Is a, a think about that, that imagery of it. Of, you remember the, the movie and, and the story from 1996 at the Olympics, the Atlanta bomb, bombing in the Olympic Park? A bomb was left in a park and a, a young security guard, Richard Jewell, found the bomb. Actually warned people. It was actually helpful in making sure they got enough away before it went off. It still went off in the park. Lives were lost in it. But, but a reporter kind of jumped on the story uh, that Jewel was a suspect. And, and even though this young man was innocent in it, it got put in the papers. He got put on trial. All that went with it, he's finally exonerated. But, but when I, I think of it, you, you look at the impact on his life of how quickly that spread. How damaging our words can be. And we, we think it's just here. We think it's just us. There's a, a young man once, years ago, he lived in a, in a village over in England. And uh, he started a rumor about someone else in the village. And it had devastating effects. And in his guilt, he, he went to his priest and he says, I want to make this right. And he'd gone through confession and the other parts. He said, no, I, I, I've got to contain this. I've got to do something about it. And so the priest had a bag of feathers. Some birds had been plucked and he took the feathers. He handed the young man the bag of feathers and he said, here's what I want you to do. If you want to make this right, I want you to go to every house in this village and place one feather on the doorstep. And so in his penance, the young man went out and he placed all the feathers. And then he came back to the priest and the priest said, all right, now I want you to go back to the village and collect all the feathers. And the young man looked at him, he said, but, but that's impossible. They've gone to the wind. And the priest said, yes. And so has your rumor. See, that's the, the danger of how quickly you can destroy life, a person, a reputation. And, and, and I feel this so much more because we are a people that we have so many more means to be able to do so, so widely through social media, through other devices. We can be ones that maybe I didn't start the rumor, but I'm gonna continue it. Maybe I didn't start the innuendo, but man, that's a juicy story. I gotta send it out to everybody. I gotta be the first that everybody knows that. And in the process, you know what we did? We just started more wildfires. And it's causing more devastation. He says it's, it's dangerous because of the impact and it's influenced by the evil of hell. Look, look how strong James is here. He says the tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell, Gehenna. This is the same word for hell that Jesus used. 
The word Gehenna, Gehenna actually, it started at the Valley of Hinnom, right south of Jerusalem. It was a place that hundreds of years before, during Manasseh's reign and Ahaz's reign, others' reign, they had used it as a place to worship Baal and the Asherah. And children were sacrificed there. There were these burning fires going all the time. Became a garbage dump at some point where all the refuge, it was always burning. And Jesus uses that term to describe hell. He says that place of torment, that place of fire, that that burning stench of it, that place of evil was denoted for evil. And James, Jesus' little brother, he says, yeah, the same thing's going on. Man, when we use our tongues in destructive ways, when you use your tongue in a harmful way, when you use your tongue for deception, when you use your tongue to spread false rumors and false reports, he says, you know where that's from? That's from the pit of hell. Because remember who Satan is? Jesus told us. He says, Satan is the father of lies. Satan, he's the author of confusion. Satan loves division. He loves dividing people. Satan is, is always sowing rumor and innuendo. He's the great accuser. He loves attacking people with things. Even when it's accurate. And so James says, man, when you use your mouth in this way, You're running his playbook. You're doing his work for him. This isn't just this little thing. It's not just, oh man, I just like to talk to people. I like to share stuff. He goes, this stuff is dangerous and it's deadly. And at its core, it's demonic. Does that have your attention? I know it has mine. And I don't think he's exaggerating for effect, guys. Because I think there's few things that are destroying people right now more than words, more than what's being said and spread and shared. Look at this, he says, the tongue can be uncontrollable. No human can tame the tongue. Look, look how he puts it. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. Wow, I mean, again, the strength of what he says, he says, you, you, you can tame animals and you look at it. I mean, we, you can go to the circus and see even lions and tigers tame. You can see people, they do tricks with snakes. All different kind of animals. But, but James says, your tongue, you're not gonna tame it. And, and that, that's why, you notice in this, he gives us all the warnings. As you, as you look at this, I, I don't have Tim's top 10 picks, tips for taming your tongue. I, I don't have that. I mean, it's not this like pep talk in that. He wants us to have that sense of, man, this is a problem It's a problem for all of us. It's a problem with pretty devastating consequences. And it's a problem you're not gonna overcome just by going, man, I'm gonna gonna work harder at it. I'm gonna just put my mind to it that much more. James says it, it doesn't work that way. No one can tame it. Now, he's not giving up here, by the way. 
When he's, he makes that statement, he's not going, well, nobody's gonna tame it. We all have trouble with it. Tongue on a tongue, what are you gonna do? That's not what he's saying. No, he, he wants us to come to that place of, and, and notice the key line here is, no human being can tame the tongue. We're gonna probably need help, aren't we? That doesn't come from humanity. See, the, the reason he says this, it's not just an issue of the tongue, it's really an issue of the heart. The tongue reveals the person. The tongue reveals the person. Look how he puts it. He says, we bless our Lord and Father. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. You, you ever heard somebody said, after somebody says something really foul or crude, somebody will say to them, hey, you kiss your mother with that mouth? This is James' version of that. He says, with the same mouth, he says, isn't it amazing? Same mouth, we can come to church, we can bless God, we can bless the things. And then out of the same mouth, we attack people who were made in the image of that God. Now, here's what he's tying together. When you attack them, you're attacking him too, because they were made in his likeness. And so anybody that, that especially racism or classism or any of the things where you attack people based on who they are, that person was made in the image of God. And that attack on them, you can't sit here and go, oh, I bless God, I'm good with God. James goes, it doesn't work that way. Look, look how he puts it, he says, my brothers, these things ought not to be. And notice he says, my brothers, so he's talking to Christians. He said, we, we shouldn't be that way. He says, does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. You, you can't depend on it. Could you imagine somebody that, that they wanna open a winery and they plant a whole orchard of grapevines only to have a season later figs come up? Not gonna be a good situation, is it? Could you imagine you want to go get a drink of water and you think it's fresh water and it's actually salt water, but it came out of the same place. See, that, that's the thing we can kind of tell ourselves. you know, I talk and I speak most of the time. I mean, most of my life, I'm very good with it. I just, you know, I got this one category over here. I really like gossip or I really struggle with talking about that or whatever it is. Oh man, I, you know, I got some language. It'd be like the water fountain. If you went out here, we've got a water fountain in the lobby. What if I told you that 90% of the time that water fountain will give you cool, fresh water, but 10% of the time it's salt water. Would you drink out of that fountain? Probably not. Because all it takes is that one time where you go to get a drink and you're like, ugh, it's salt water. I'm never drinking out of this again. If I told you, yeah, but 90% of the time it's fine. See, James says the inconsistency is killing us. It kills our reputation, devastates other people. I, I, I love just how he puts it. He says, my brother, these things just ought not to be so. This isn't how it's supposed to be 
in the church. And, and, and we can tell ourselves, well, I know I said those things, but that's not me. How many times have you heard that apology? Somebody says something and they come out with the apology later. I know, and then, you know, whatever the devastating comments were, I know I said those things and I was on record saying those things, but that's not really me. And I think we all want to think that. We go, well, no, that's, that's not really who I am. The, the problem is the tongue reveals what we say is a window into our hearts. And these are Jesus' words, by the way. It's James' brother. He says, for each tree is known by its fruit, for figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, grapes are picked Grapes are not picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. And then look at this last line. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. The things you're saying are a reflection of what's really going on in here. See, that's why James said no human containment. No human can change it because this connection between mouth and heart, they're inextricably linked. That when we have a mouth issue, we have a heart issue and God's the only one that changes hearts. And God, frankly, is the only one that can help us with this issue. It's not a matter of, man, I'm going to just, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to do more. There's this place where for all of us, even as believers, we just have to come and go, God, you're gonna have to help here. You're gonna have to do something. This is one of those passages, it just humbles us. And so as we finish, can I give you just some areas that, that we invite God's help in? And I just say three things on this. One is awareness. Maybe just doing an honest assessment of what you say. This is an honest assessment of how do I talk? How do I tweet? How do I post? What do I say about other people? What do I share? What do I spread? And then just humbly ask him for help. Instead of doing the thing where, okay, I'm gonna fix this and I'll just try. No, just stop in that moment and just take God's word at God's word. James said, you're not gonna tame it. You're not gonna get there. You need his help. I need his help. And so let's ask him for it. Just in humility before him. And then as you have that, there may be a place of forgiveness that's needed. Where you ask for forgiveness from God and from others. You know, one of the things when you've hurt someone with your words, going and asking for their forgiveness can be a first step of shaping your heart. God loves to give it and we'll give it in a moment. But we have to own it enough that we're willing to ask for it. And then when it's given, embrace it. Satan wants you to wallow in what you did. God doesn't. God gives forgiveness so that we can move forward. And then maybe there's somebody you need to forgive as well. Some of you, the words that come out of your mouth have been shaped by a heart that is unforgiving because somebody hurt you. 
somebody did wrong by you and, and what they did was wrong. But you've allowed the anger of it and the bitter of it and the hurt of it to fester for so long. It's shaping your life in a way that it comes out in how you talk to people you love now. There's a reason when Jesus taught us to pray, he said in every prayer, there's a place to both ask for forgiveness and give it. Because there's probably somebody in your life or something in your life where you need it both ways all the time. So that that heart issue stays clean. And then the final category I would just say is worship more. You say, this seems strange. Here's why I say this. Spend more time saying what is right about God. We've gotten so fixated on talking about what's wrong in the world that I don't think we spend enough time just talking about what's right about our God. And allow your worship to shape your heart. What you worship shapes you. And so in an area that I can't control, and even though I might want to fixate on it and I'm going to fix it, it's so much more powerful just to bring this, all of this, all that I say, all that I do, wherever I struggle with it, just go, God, you're going to have to do something here at a heart level. So humbly, I bring it before you. And I want to own it. And I want to receive forgiveness. And I want to go and ask where I need it. And I want to extend that forgiveness. And I want to spend more time using this powerful instrument to talk about what's right about you, to create an environment of health around that. You know, I read one pastor made a covenant with his family. They were talking about ways they could celebrate the Sabbath on Sunday. And they made a commitment, they had teenagers. They said, here's one of the ways that we're marking our Sabbath. On Sundays, no one in this household's allowed to say one critical word to somebody else. No fighting, no dissension, no backbiting, no critical words at all. We're marking this territory. He said as they fought and they gained that territory, an interesting thing happened. He said, we started noticing on Sundays, more and more of their friends started showing up on that day of the week. There was something about the environment that was just so attractive. Folks, we, we live in a desert where people are dying for that kind of refreshment and health that God's given us the power to speak. We live in a world where the evil one is using this in a lot of destructive ways, both outside and inside the church. If there was ever a time for God's people to just humbly come before him and go, God, <laughs> we can't control this but you can because you're a God who not only changes our mouths, you change our heart and we humbly ask you to do what only you can do in it. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you for just the power of James' words. We thank you for his ability to just call us directly and speak directly through the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray for the conviction that I feel today, that I know we feel today. I thank you that you've not called us to walk out of here just feeling guilty, 
You used the guilt to bring us to your feet, to ask for your help, because you love to give it. Lord, I, I pray that you would continue to work in our church, you'd continue to work in our lives, you'd work in our homes. Could we be oasis of health in a world that is dying for it? Could we be people who speak your truth? Could we, could we spend so much time saying what is right about you and less time about all the things that we think are going wrong? Lord, we know our worship shapes us at a heart level. And so we come to you now and we worship you and praise you and pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.